Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. If you've been listening to this show for a while, strangers, the premise of today's episode may seem familiar. A mysterious, eccentric man experiences an emotional upheaval. His feelings bring him to unexpected places, and he channels those feelings into grand art. Namely, into a castle. He builds a literal castle. Nearly two years ago, we told you the story of Boyce Gully and the mystery castle he constructed just outside Phoenix, Arizona. The mystery castle story is strange, yes, but it's also a love story. The love a father had for his daughter. A love that made the father spend years in the desert, crafting a complex, beautiful, life-size sandcastle for the daughter who he hardly knew. Love is a notoriously strange thing in its own right, and today we will once again be telling you a story of a man and love and a castle. But this time, things are less beautiful. Or, well, maybe they're just a lot weirder. You'll see. Once upon a time, a man named Edward Lee Scollin was living in Latvia. According to his official biography, Edward was 26 years old in 1921, and it's noted that he was a small man. According to the St. Lucie News Tribune, he was 5 feet tall and weighed about 100 pounds. Keep that factoid in mind. And according to the Miami Herald, Edward was also a man of little means and no formal education. That said, things were going well for Edward in that he was in love with, and engaged to, a girl named Agnes. We don't know much about Agnes, beyond her relationship with Edward. In some articles, her name is recorded as Riga, though most do call her Agnes. She was younger than Edward by some years, and her primary personality trait, in most sources, is not so much a trait as an event. According to the News Tribune, just one day before she was to marry Edward, Agnes left him for another man. In some retellings, it was a wealthier man, and in others, a younger one. 
sometimes both. Edward was, predictably, devastated. According to the Bradenton Herald, he was, quote, an extremely sensitive soul. He was deeply hurt and made the decision to leave his native country and seek solace elsewhere. So, Edward left Latvia in 1921 and came as so many did when seeking a fresh start to the United States. Edward bounced around the country for a time, dabbling on the West Coast and in the Southwest before settling down in South Florida. At that time, South Florida was sparsely populated, which was just what Edward was looking for. Per the Herald, quote, he wanted to get away from the world, which was probably the last time that anyone went to Florida for that reason. In the St. Lucie News Tribune's account, Edward eventually made friends with a real estate salesman who'd picked him up as he hitchhiked. At that point, Edward was close to deathly ill, a mere 90 pounds, and suffering from, quote, advanced tuberculosis. The real estate salesman and his wife nursed Edward back to health. And then, two years after he arrived in the States, Edward got to work. Per the News Tribune, Edward then set out on an old bicycle to find a piece of land, carrying with him a long metal rod. He would plunge the rod into the topsoil until he eventually found a bed of oolite limestone that suited his purpose. His purpose, as he told the salesman, was to build a castle, an ode to his lost love. Though he was not formally educated, some sources said that he might have had some practical experience with masonry or that he'd worked in a quarry when he was in Latvia. According to the South Florida Sun Sentinel, Edward found a suitable bed of limestone about 35 miles south of Miami and began the years-long process of excavating rock and building a castle. The Coral Castle, as it would come to be called, was not actually made of coral. The oolite limestone that Edward built with would take on a similar porous, craggy effect as he worked. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, oolite limestone is a soft rock and easy to carve, relatively speaking, that is. To achieve both fine detail and massive cuts, one generally needs specialized equipment, chisels, giant saws, and the like. What makes it all the more fascinating is that, according to the Sun Sentinel, Edward had none of that. He fashioned tools out of scrap garbage, we know he had some chisels and some pulleys, but nothing remarkable. And, in any case, over the 17 years it took to build the castle, nobody ever saw Edward at work. According to the St. Lucie News Tribune, he worked only at night. And, if a visitor happened to approach him during a lantern-lit work session, he'd stop until they left. We assume Edward was a very private builder. But he was making progress. That much people nearby could verify. During daylight hours, it was hard to miss the giant slabs of oolite limestone, some several stories high, and in the process of being assembled into a castle. According to the news press, people from the surrounding area were, understandably, interested in what was unfolding. The rising castle tower was a sight to see, even in daylight hours. Rusty McClure, an author who would later write a book on the castle, told the Sun Sentinel that 283 people signed a notarized affidavit saying this man built this castle at night alone. 
The News Tribune reported in 1936, more than 10 years into his endeavor, Edward grew weary of visitors to his worksite and concerned for safety reasons, though it's not clear whether it was his safety or his projects. Whatever Edward was actually worried about, it was clear he'd had enough. And so Edward took on an even bolder variation on the castle project. As it was nearing completion, he decided to move it to a new site 10 miles away near Homestead, Florida. And notably, for work that had up until then been shrouded in secrecy, he did it with the help of a flatbed truck and a driver named Bob. That's not to say that the shroud of secrecy was lifted exactly. Per the News Tribune, Edward dictated a peculiar workflow for Bob's role. Bob would park the flatbed at the original castle site, and then he would have to leave for a period of time that Edward specified. To go where? On foot? In rural South Florida? We're not entirely sure. But when Bob returned, he'd see blocks of limestone would somehow have been disassembled from the two-story castle tower and loaded onto his truck without any heavy machinery in sight. And at the castle's new location near Homestead, the process was reversed. Bob parked, Bob left, and when Bob returned, the blocks had been unloaded. Now, if we were Bob, we would certainly have some questions. The News Tribune wrote that those limestone blocks weighed anywhere from 6 to 28 tons. 28 tons is, for reference, more than 60,000 pounds. Hardly something even the strongest construction workers could do as a teen, let alone diminutive Edward, all on his own. But he was doing it, somehow. If not in front of Bob's eyes, then shortly before Bob's eyes arrived. The new plot of land Edward had purchased near Homestead was 10 acres instead of the original one. How he purchased it, given that he was of little means when he came to the U.S. and he'd been focused on his castle since arriving? Yeah, we're not sure. Perhaps it was the goodwill of his friend, the real estate salesman. However he got that land, Edward stayed busy once it was in his possession. According to the Sun Sentinel, after reassembling his progress thus far, Edward turned to constructing an eight-foot-tall, four-foot-thick wall around the castle with a massive gate made of stone. Once that was done, he could continue his work in private. And continue he did for four more years. In 1940, the castle and its various accoutrements were finally complete. According to the news press, it was and is an absolute sight to behold. Quote, the regular confines of the castle walls, about the size of a baseball infield, feature a Flintstones meets Stonehenge motif with carved stone groupings situated among the shade trees. Several carved obelisks of the crescent moon and planets spaced atop huge stone walls add to the illusion that the Coral Castle once held great religious significance and perhaps had withstood the ravages of centuries. Per the Coral Castle's own website, the grounds inside the wall consist of sculptures in a sort of outdoor garden setting. The actual castle itself is a modest square-shaped turret with two stories. The ground floor was Edward's workshop, and the upper one his personal residence. In lieu of a bed, 
A ragged hammock, which is still there today, suggests that Edward had been roughing it there for some time. The array of stone furniture we've mentioned is in the outdoor portion. There is a lot there, more than we can really get into without spending 15 minutes describing stone furniture. But the Sun Sentinel listed a few notable works. Quote, 1,000-pound reading chairs, including a recliner and a seven-ton conference table carved in the shape of Florida. The table is surrounded by 11 rocking chairs. Strangers, there were also obelisks on obelisks on obelisks and sculptures of planets, which we will return to in a moment. Maybe most famously, Edward had also carved a heart-shaped table dedicated to Agnes naturally. The stone table weighs 5,000 pounds and is livened up to this day by a shrub that Edward planted in its center. The Sun Sentinel wrote that even though Edward was shy and reclusive, he was, quote, nevertheless flattered that nearby Floridians were interested in the castle, which, to be fair, how could you not be interested in a hand-built castle that took 20 years to mysteriously appear in the middle of nowhere? So, not long after the castle was complete, Edward started giving tours. Some tourists were charged as much as 25 cents, others paid nothing. This was never explained. The News Tribune wrote that Edward was especially interested in inviting wedding parties into the castle gardens, which makes sense given the whole love theme. Sometime in the 11 years spent between finishing the castle and dying, Edward took out a postcard advertisement in local papers. The News Tribune reprinted these ads in the 1980s. In our archival copies, we can make out two versions. One, a photo from the ground level of the gardens, replete with tables and chairs and sculptures, and one somber man in a dark suit, standing just off-center and staring in the camera's direction. This a caption tells us is the man who made the place. The other postcard is a photograph from above the gardens, showing basically the same content from a different vantage point. This one, however, has the deliciously unpunctuated caption of Have you been in a place more beautiful than this? Apparently, strangers, many visitors had not. The coral castle took off first through word of mouth and then with the help of those postcard ads. By the time Edward died in 1951, the Sun Sentinel wrote that he'd given more than 15,000 tours of his castle grounds. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences. They tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to win The Price is Right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring firsthand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades after Edward's death, the castle's ownership had changed hands a few times, but it got another boost in popularity thanks to an unexpected enthusiast. The Tampa Bay Times wrote that rock star Billy Idol heard about the Coral Castle on TV in the 1980s and was so taken with it and Edward's story that he wrote a song inspired by his grand gesture. That song, called Sweet Sixteen, more on that later, came out in 1987, and a music video featured scenes of Idol on site at the castle, lounging in Edward's crescent moon sculptures. You know, we cannot imagine that the late reclusive Latvian would have been cool with that, but one never knows. The final result of Edward's work was striking, absolutely, and remains so to this day. Admission to the castle now cost $18 for adults and $8 for children, in case you're wondering. Strangers, if it's cool enough for Billy Idol, we generally lean toward it being cool enough for us too. Except for one strange thing. We still don't know how Edward managed to move all this limestone and pull off such an impressive feat of engineering without power tools or heavy machinery. Modern attempts to replicate his methods have yielded nothing. So, many researchers have now turned to either the ancient past or to the metaphysical. We do know that Edward spent a fair amount of time researching ancient Egyptian building methods, and per the South Florida Sun Sentinel, it's most likely that he borrowed pulley and winch methods from the Egyptians. That knowledge of history, though, doesn't necessarily explain everything. We're still talking about a small, often sickly man working on his own in the oppressive heat and humidity of Florida. And even in the years after Edward died, modern efforts to replicate his work, or even just repair it, have fallen somewhat flat. His stonework was so smoothly chiseled it looked like it had been worn down for centuries rather than chiseled by an amateur hand. And the moving parts, like rocking chairs and the stone gate, were made entirely of rock and perfectly fluid and balanced. Per the South Florida Sun Sentinel, that nine-ton stone gate that was part of the castle's surrounding wall, it eventually gave out. The stone bearings, perfectly balanced by Ed's hand, had worn down. A team of engineers were charged with repairing the gate and spent $10,000 trying to do it. We say trying because, well, they couldn't. 
Eventually, the gate had to be retrofitted with more modern hardware just to keep it functional. And then there's Leonard Nimoy. Surprise! He's in this. Kind of. The St. Lucie News Tribune wrote that the Coral Castle was featured on an episode of In Search Of, a CBS program on The Unexplained, hosted by, yes, Leonard Nimoy, a.k.a. Spock. Per the News Tribune, the crew attempted to replicate Edward's work with modern methods. Quote, Program directors hired and filmed a stone quarry work crew assigned to cut and lift a nine-ton block of oolite limestone. Using diamond-tipped power saws and a 600-horsepower crane, which almost tipped over in the attempt, the work crew was unable to budge the nine-ton block from the ground, much less turn it up onto its side and carve it into mind-boggling fantasies. So modern machinery couldn't do what a 100-pound man did without any real tools in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. It's understandable, then, that some would turn to the otherworldly for an explanation. And on that front of the metaphysical, it should be noted that when we call Edward eccentric, we mean it. And really, eccentric is putting it a bit lightly. According to the St. Lucie News Tribune, the man was obsessed with both astronomy and astrology. As we've mentioned, the castle's carvings included several crescent moons and obelisks. Per the Miami Herald, that also included 18-ton carvings of Mars and Saturn. The Brandeton Herald also mentions a 25-foot-tall sort of telescope, a hollowed-out obelisk with a hole in the top pointed toward the North Star. What purpose that might have served for Edward, we're not sure. The News Tribune wrote that Edward's metaphysical proclivities didn't end there. He apparently spent 11 years of his life studying, quote, magnetic and biological forces, whatever that means. According to the Sun Sentinel, Edward would explain to absolutely anyone who asked that he was just using, quote, the same principles the Egyptians used to build the pyramids. Which is all fine and good if you take that to refer to the mechanical levers and pulleys that the Egyptians are generally agreed to have used. But there are many conspiracy theorists out there who would suggest that, actually, it was aliens. Or levitation. Or, you know, all that other stuff. So, it's only natural that Edward's Coral Castle has received the same suppositions. The news press wrote that, quote, New Age investigators claim that the Coral Castle rests on ley lines, natural corridors of energy drawn from deep within the Earth. The thought there is, we think, that the ley lines might have allowed Edward to levitate the slabs of limestone into position. Additionally, a Sun Sentinel piece floated the idea of magnetricity, though it explains that word, which, for the record, is not a word, no further than that. The news press alleges that good old-fashioned levitation might have been involved here. Quote, in one instance, several kids claimed that they saw Ed with a huge stone block floating in the air above him like a balloon. If such an incident happened and children actually banded together to claim such a thing, strangers, we can find nothing in the way of verification. And the news press, in the same article, cited a reporter who visited the castle and spoke to a former employee turned retired civil engineer. That guy 
Ray Ramirez had some stories of his own. Quote, Ramirez told us Ed rode the area on his bike with a crude homemade compass until he found the exact spot of unusual electromagnetic activity that he was looking for. People who knew him say he crisscrossed the area overhead with copper wire to enhance the heightened abnormalities. Whether those apparent abnormalities were ley lines, magnetricity, or something else is entirely lost to history. And in 2001, the Miami Herald spoke to the assistant manager at the Coral Castle, Jeff Pinero, who added to the allegations of the unusual, We've had all sorts of people come through here. We've even had psychics come in. One said he saw blue flames come out of the ground. Egyptian secrets and blue flames and telemagnetic levitation aside, strangers, you still might find yourselves wondering about one thing. What about the muse behind this whole castle? What ever happened to Agnes? According to the Miami Herald, Agnes did find out about the castle all the way from Latvia. The Herald wrote in the early 1980s, Agnes received and declined an invitation from the staff to visit the castle. Now, we're not sure where this quote from Agnes came from, as several publications cite it as having been said back in the early 80s. But the Miami Herald alleges that, to someone, Agnes said the following, I wasn't interested in him at 16, and I'm not interested in him at 80. Yes, you heard that right, strangers. Agnes was, in fact, 16 years old when she was engaged to 26-year-old Edward. According to the Coral Castle's records, he would call her his sweet 16 until the day he died. And that's the namesake for the Billy Idol song. That age gap is uncomfortable enough, strangers. But the honorary plot twist of this episode is that Edward gets much, much weirder than that. In the words of the Miami Herald, quote, He was hardly a guy to take home to mom. Per the Sun Sentinel, Edward wrote a small book on his views, which was, and is still apparently, sold in the castle's gift shop. Among those views are that children should not smile much to avoid creases in their faces, that girls should take smaller steps and walk more slowly than boys to avoid unnecessarily jiggling their bodies. And then there's the requisite, young girls need to stay pure stuff. Frankly, it's all very icky. And Edward's, um, unconventional ideas are even evident in the Coral Castle itself. He had clearly imagined the castle as just the start of a long life with Agnes. The Sun Sentinel put it even better than we can, so uh, we'll just give them the floor. Upon finishing the castle in 1940, Edward was, quote, anticipating a reunion with Sweet Sixteen. He built a bed for each of them, plus two smaller child-sized beds, all carved from the hard and jagged rock. He also built Repentance Corner, a hollowed-out rock with a small hole, just big enough to fit a sassy child's head inside. Next to it, he built a chair where he could sit and lecture the errant child. A second, larger hole was built for Sweet Sixteen's head in the event that she, too, required discipline." End quote. There is also, for the record, a throne room on the castle grounds, 
with several massive stone chairs. The Sun Sentinel writes that the least comfortable chair was designated for Sweet Sixteen's mother. That chair, incidentally, was directly behind Edward's throne, an intentional choice, Edward would tell visitors, to encourage his imaginary mother-in-law to leave. Strangers, we told you things would get weird. And look, as much as we empathize with Agnes in wanting to marry someone else, maybe literally anyone else, we can, of course, also understand heartache and obsession too. Edward was, by all accounts, probably not a very pleasant partner, but he did create something extraordinary, so much so that it was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1984. In instances like these, it's nearly impossible to separate the art from the artist. The inspiration being so inextricably tied to the art, and so undeniably, yikes, makes disassociation difficult. Nowadays, when you enter the Coral Castle, now the Coral Castle Museum, a sign at the entrance reads, You will be seeing unusual accomplishment. And that seems like a fair read in our book. The how and the why might be unknown and baffling to the rest of us, but an unusual accomplishment it most certainly is. And we have to say, if it is impressive enough for Spock and Billy Idol, well then, it's got to be pretty spectacular, right? We think so. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers, One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, and monthly live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.